Good evening, everybody. It's nice to see a decent crowd at 9 p.m. Mass. Um, I am going to give tonight an abbreviated sort of sparks note version of the homily I gave earlier today, partially because it's 9 o'clock and my homily is over 20 minutes long. If you want to hear the full, unedited, unabridged version, you can go online possibly tomorrow. So uh, we have all been paying attention to the events unfolding in the news in our nation over the course of the past several weeks. I've been doing a number of hours of reading and reflecting on different articles and books and I'd like to share some of the insights that I've received and all focused around one main topic. And the topic is the virtue of courage. Right? We in our Western society, many critics will say, sort of lost that virtue of courage, specifically civil courage. Courage to stand up for what we believe, to act, to be one with other individuals and in fighting against evil. And courage, of course, comes from the word core, Latin, which means heart. So a person who has courage, who has heart, fortitude, to speak up in face of danger. For Christians, we believe it is a virtue gift of the Spirit, and we are courageous because we know the Lord is on our side. There is, in our nation, particularly amongst certain elite classes, a great lack of civil courage. There are a lot of people who do have courage, and we often don't exercise it. And so I want to talk today about courage and how we can live it out, particularly in two different dimensions of courage. One, to stand with others. The second dimension, to stand against or to stand for things. The first is, we've been looking at the news, we as Americans and as Catholics have a responsibility to stand with the victims, unjust racism, with the poor, and with the marginalized. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Solidarity not just by putting things on Instagram, but actually having the courage to stand with them, to stand with those who are victimized, those who are marginalized, and to actually work for justice and for peace. And it's uncomfortable for a lot of people today, particularly sort of conservative Christians. They think, well, if I stand against racism or if I stand with the marginalized, well, then I'm a social justice warrior. I'm a progressivist. And that's not the case. Because the fact of the matter is the church has a very clearly defined set of teachings on social justice. And it condemns racism. It condemns structural sin. It's not something that we as Catholics can just ignore. And we believe, and I think you can use your common sense to see that there is racism in our nation embedded into certain structures, whether it be economic or whether it be educational or the criminal justice system. If you do not believe that there is such a thing as systemic racism, please come talk to me after Mass or later in the week, and I will do my best to explain it to you. And so there's been a lot of talk about it over the years, but not much has actually been done. And so there are a lot of problems that exist. And this is something, though, I think the younger generation kind of understands in a way that maybe my generation and above doesn't fully grasp. 
And so what's happened is, is there are a lot of people, particularly of your generation, a younger generation, who sees these injustices and sees the fact that the church seems to be doing nothing, or even worse, denying that there is a problem. And so they react against the church, they leave the church, they want to have nothing to do with Christians, and instead get involved with certain ideologies and certain secular narratives that don't lead to the freedom that comes from being a Christian, but instead to angst, rage, and division, is one of the quotes that I used in the earlier Mass said. And so the, the death of George Floyd gave us as a nation the impetus to work together as Christians to find creative and effective Christ-centered ways to address these issues in our nation. We could put aside our partisan ideals, progressive or conservative, and work together. And so if we're willing to do it, to sit and try to figure out solutions and work together, it can be a real powerful way to evangelize those who hate the church or have left the church because they think we care nothing about social justice issues. And so we've got to be able to have the courage to stand together regardless of what we think people will say about us to work for equality and racial justice in our nation, to reach out to those who are marginalized and alienated. But we also, though, have to realize and stand together to face another threat, to stand against what I mentioned before, sort of secular ideologies and narratives that can be pervasive in our nation, particularly amongst the younger generation. Speaking about someone, me here, who's a Generation Xer, who may see things from a different perspective. It's hard to deny that since the death of George Floyd, the focus, at least from my perspective, seems to have shifted. Shifted away from police brutality and addressing systemic racism to more of what I consider a revolution. Revolution, which basically in some sections, not in all sections, questions the very validity of the foundation of the United States. I'm no fool. I'm aware that our founding fathers were not perfect. There was lots of sin in the past that needs to be addressed. And a lot of that sin remained throughout the generations following. And we need to be honest about this. And we need to have an open discussion about it. Not judging each other, but trying to come to a deeper understanding. Now, the point I'm trying to make is, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I believe that if we really understand what's going on, certain sections of this revolution are informed by these atheistic, secular narratives and ideologies that are radically different from the principles and understanding and philosophy that pushed our founding fathers in the original revolution that laid the foundation of our nation. And these virulent strands tend to be strands of Marxism in different ways, maybe not pure economic Marxism, call it cultural Marxism, but they're there. And a lot of the times the individuals who espouse this are not ashamed to say it. But the truth is, just as the church opposes racism and economic injustice, the church has always opposed Marxism. 
Even Pope Francis, it may freak some of you out to know that. Why? Primarily because it's atheistic foundations, saying you cannot have a political or economic system based on a denial of the existence of God. And so this is the point I really want to make. If you zone out from everything else I'm saying, please pay attention to this. Every revolution has philosophical beliefs that undergird it, that inform it. And each ought to have certain objectives that they are working towards and trying to achieve. So if you look at our founding fathers, as imperfect as they may have been, they believed in an existence of some transcendental higher power, that there was order in creation, that our human mind could perceive that order in creation, that human beings had dignity, they had inalienable rights written into their nature, and there was a moral law that we could perceive and follow. And so the objective of the revolution was freedom from tyranny and the formation of a government that would work to secure those inalienable rights given to us by God. However, if we look at classical Marxist revolutions or the neo sort of Marxist revolution that we are seeing today, their philosophical principles are not rooted in God. In fact, they are atheist, if not purely anti-theist. Why do I say that? Because if you don't believe in God, there's no human dignity. There's no human dignity. No lives really matter. Why do I say that? Is because if there's no God, then guess what? We are all nothing more than products of millions of years of natural selection and random evolution. That this idea of dignity is nothing more than a social construct that we've just sort of dreamed up. It really doesn't exist. And so there's no way you can say that humans inherently have dignity because that dignity has to come from something beyond creation. Because otherwise, we're just really highly intelligent apes. We're no different than any other creature. But also, if you don't believe in God, there's no such thing as a metaphysical category of human nature. Something that we can perceive and say, listen, I don't care what skin color we are, I don't care how big or tall we are, we all share certain characteristics. And there's an order to our bodies, there's an order to who we are, and we can perceive certain laws that should come from that that we should not act in certain ways, and that we ought to act in certain ways. But if you deny the existence of God, then guess what? There's no end in the body. There's no purpose for who we are. There's no natural law. It's all purely subjective. It's all purely relative. And no one person can tell another person how they ought to act. And so as a result, it's impossible for us to work towards a common good because each individual establishes their own subjective, relative good. And finally, and probably more importantly, if there is no God, there are no human rights. There are no rights inalienable written into your nature. Rights only come from governments. And if you have an unjust government, as we see throughout the world, we've had certain systems of unjust government in the United States, then guess what? They can take away rights. They can give rights according to the power of the individuals who are there. 
And so this is the thing, is you can't have a real revolution, or at least revolution that you want, that's going to produce true freedoms if it's not based on a proper philosophy and anthropology. You can also wonder, what is the purpose of the revolution? Is it simply to overthrow the powerful and to establish what? For what purpose? Change for the sake of change does not lead to a very nice or wonderful path. Men have forgotten God for a number of different reasons, but we have got to believe that God exists and to work towards that because without it, if we deny the existence of God, we leave room for these sort of virulent strands of Marxist, atheistic ideology to breed. And all that does is lead to rage and hatred and cynicism and division. And if you do not have courage in a country and in a nation, then it can die. Civilization can be killed, as one scholar who I quote, just as easily by cynicism and disillusion as by bombs. And I really believe the average American, uh, what, if you're black or white or young or old, subscribe to these very, very radical far-left beliefs. Just, I think, a very, very small part of Americans believe in the far, far right beliefs. And as a result, most of us don't really have this negative, cynical view of the United States and its future. It exists mostly amongst the 2%, the cultural elite, the campus intellectuals, the media types, the big corporations, or with one person quoted or coined the term, the bourgeois Bolsheviks. If you know anything about Marxism, it is an oxymoron. You can't be a Bolshevik if you are bourgeois. Most people are part of the bourgeoisie. Most of Americans are hopeful. We're positive, and we believe that we can work together to make things better. That's how we've done it for the past 244 years. We can't allow fear that is generated by a small percentage of people but are very, very loud through the media to scare us. It's like the Wizard of Oz. You can look at that big, scary head and say, oh, America's coming to an end. Everybody's evil. There's no hope. But you need Toto to pull back the curtain. And what do you see? It's just a small little old man there. It's not really a threat, but we have got to be willing to pull back the curtain. The courage to stand together on these important issues and to stand against lies and to stand for human dignity and the existence of God. We need to be the ones that set the narratives, not the, the yo-yos on television. Finally, one last and most important example of courage, and that's got to be Jesus. Jesus, who in the gospel today calls himself meek and humble of heart. It doesn't seem like this is courage to be meek, but it's like the lion. The lion is not safe. Aslan and C.S. Lewis's trill, uh, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe is. Not safe, but he's good. Jesus is all-powerful. He could destroy us all if he chose to. Because he's good, he restrains that power. And so in the same way, we need to follow the example of Christ and show courage by 
being meek and humble of heart. How do we do it? First, the courage to show mercy rather than to condemn. To take someone who did something five years ago, ten years ago when they were stupid in high school and shame them on the internet and destroy their reputation. That's not how we work. We also don't label certain people, criminals and degenerates, if we don't understand where they came from and the things that they had to endure that led them to that position that would reduce their culpability. We need to show empathy. If you come to your priest or your psychotherapist and you tell them about all the sins that you did and they say, I can't believe you did that, I'm going to shame you in front of everyone. You condemn that person, that priest, that therapist is a bad individual. Then why do we think it's good when people do this in the media? Why do we think it's good when they do it on social media? It's not good at all. We need to also be able to willing to listen, the curse to listen, rather than to cancel the shut down opinions that we do not agree with. We need to be able to say, I listen to you, I think you're wrong, but I still support your right to say it. We need to listen to the experiences of those who are the victims of racism, of what they go through that we may not be able to fully understand. It should really, really bother us that there is this cancel culture, particularly in politics, the big corporations, and in universities, because that often trickles down. Go read about the struggle sessions in the Cultural Revolution in the 60s under Mao Zedong in China. And you read the, about these struggle sessions, you'll say, this is eerily like what we're going through, where the people in power take individuals, disagree with their opinion, make them repudiate it, humiliate themselves in front of everybody else, and set them up as an example. We don't need this happening, at least really systematized, in the United States. We need the courage to build rather than to destroy. Anarchy is not a good thing. Yes, indeed, there is police brutality, but we still need law and order. Go read about what's been happening in New York City since the cops are pushed off to the side and a billion dollars have been removed from their budget. But look at the increase of violence. Is this really a good thing? Is this the way that we are going to solve the problem? We need to build things up. We cannot be about destruction. We want to see change on a natural, national level, the reality is it's probably gonna be done on a local level. This is where it starts, and then the revolution can begin. And I've gotta say, I have been tremendously impressed with how people in Lafayette, particularly the young people, have handled this, the peaceful protest, the reasonable discussion, and realize that we're trying to build up a community. I think what's happened in Lafayette over the course of the past month is an example to a lot of other places where we, we, we can call it injustice, but we want to build up the community, build up the culture, and build up the family. Finally, and most importantly, we need to have the courage to hope rather than to despair. If all you do is get on social media all day and you listen to this kind of stuff, you are going to despair pretty quickly. It's all negative. The world is coming to an end. We need to be realistic about the problems that we as a nation face, but we cannot give up. We need to take courage, as difficult as it may seem, to get out there and be the change we want to see, not just sitting and complaining and fighting in social media. That's not reality. This is reality, 
and the days are bright and sunny. And we need to be, like Jesus was, channels of hope to a world and a nation and people who are lost in darkness. That's the real call. Today, as we celebrate this weekend, the birth of our nation, to be able to have a revolution founded in God, to stand with those who are the victims of injustice and oppression, to stand against evil, to stand for what we believe, to stand for Jesus Christ. Amen.